Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here today. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to be together. We appreciate so much those of you that are visiting. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We have a number of our own people that are away. It is spring break and so a lot are traveling and we pray that they'll have a safe and enjoyable time away and that they will be back very, very soon. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9 in just a minute. I want us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul for a minute or two. As we begin, I want to just maybe say before getting into our lesson that I appreciate so much every member of this church. And I am very proud of our young folks and the great example that I think they set before one another as well as those of us that are older. I appreciate the great job that Jared does with them on a regular basis. It's my conviction that we are very blessed to have a wide age, age group here at Olive Branch. I really think that we have a lot to offer in this community. And so as you're out at work, at school, on the ball field, wherever you may be, I want to encourage you, reach out and invite people to come and be a part of the family here. Encourage people to come and visit with us. It may be that you know people that are not members of the church, they need the gospel, and we would love to have the opportunity to have an audience with them, to share with them the good news of the gospel of Christ. As we look at Acts chapter 9 today, I want to talk for a minute or two about an individual that, from my perspective, would have been, by all accounts, an unlikely candidate for Christianity. You know, there are some people that we come in contact with on a regular basis, and based on their knowledge, their heart, some of the things that they say and do, you think, that person would be a tremendous candidate for Christianity. In other words, as Jesus would say on one occasion, they are not far from the kingdom. And then on the other hand, there are some folks that based on their lifestyle, things that they say and do, the way they carry themselves, they just don't fit the profile of somebody that you would think about having a Bible study with. Is it not the case, though, that those that seem the least likely to be a candidate are sometimes the best candidate? Let's look at the life of the Apostle Paul for a minute or two because I think that he provides us with a case study of somebody that, by all accounts, you would never have dreamed would have obeyed the gospel of Christ. I want to begin by talking about his past as a sinner. Paul is very forthright about his life as a Jew. Luke, in his narration of the birth 
infancy and growth of the church. Talks about key figures that really lived in the first century and had a tremendous part in the growth of God's institution that we know as the church. And Saul of Tarsus is a prominent figure in this whole thing. So I want to begin by looking at what Luke has to say about Paul or Saul as a sinner. First we think about his pedigree. You have to understand that Saul of Tarsus was steeped in Judaism. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that he was a Hebrew among the Hebrews. He was from the, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He would go on to say in the book of Acts that he had been a student of Gamaliel. So here was a man that knew the Jewish law front to back. And based on his pedigree and his deep-seated conviction and belief in God and the Mosaic system, he was a persecutor of the church. So think with me, if you would, about his persecutions. Look at what, look at what Luke says in chapter... Well, go back with me for just a moment and look at chapter 7. In chapter 7, the Bible tells us that there was a man by the name of Stephen that made a defense before the Sanhedrin Council of the Christian system. His defense was met with death. And the Bible tells us that when they cast him out of the city, verse 58, they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's who we're talking about. In chapter 8, verse 3, Luke said, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And now we look at chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Damascus was about 135 miles from the city of Jerusalem. And Saul, or Paul as we know him, has received what we would call arrest warrants to go to the city of Damascus and bind those who were following Jesus and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Paul was intent on destroying Christianity. As Luke said in chapter 8, verse 3, he made havoc of the church. He was a church wrecker. By way of profile, Paul talked about 
his life as a church wrecker. In Acts chapter 26 at verse 9, he said, I verily thought within myself to do all things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul was intent on putting down Christianity. His desire, elevate the law, maintain Judaism, and destroy Christianity. So, Saul was a man that, as we would say, needed Christianity. He just didn't know it. Now, if you, if you think about his life as a sinner, Paul really profiles himself in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said that formerly he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent or injurious man. But he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So when you look at the life of, when you look at the life of Paul or Saul, you see here was a guy that understood where he had been. He was well aware of his past. In verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul would say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul came to realize he was a sinner. As a sinner, he needed a savior. He just didn't know it. So now I want you to think with me for just a moment. We, we talk about his life, his past as a sinner. But what about his pardon from the Savior? Pick up with me if you would in verse 3. First there is his encounter with deity, with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 3, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So you have this interrogation, if you please, by the Lord. Saul's response was, who are you, Lord? That term Lord here, a title of respect. Now note, if you would, what Luke says. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. I wonder what kind of shock waves that sent through the body of Saul. Here's a guy that had been intent on destroying Christianity. In his mind, he needed to put down those who were following the way. As he said, I did it in all good conscience. He would go on to say to Timothy, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And now here is, here is Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is saying to him, I am the one you have been persecuting. Look again at what he asked Saul. Why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church. But in persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus. 
And so he reveals himself unto Saul. And the Bible says, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Very important words. God wanted Saul of Tarsus to know that there were some things that he was going to have to do. Now let's talk for just a minute about his encounter with a disciple. Drop down and look at verse 10 if you would. We have the call of Ananias. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered. Here we have insight into the reputation of Saul of Tarsus. Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You can just imagine Ananias being called upon the Lord, being called upon by the Lord. It was incredulous to him that the Lord would want him to go and to speak to this man named Saul. Why? Because his reputation preceded him. I mean, Lord, this guy is a church wrecker. Here is a guy that has been destroying those who are following you. And you want me to go to him. Listen, if you would, to what the Lord said. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Behold, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. I mentioned a moment ago the call of Ananias. Over in chapter 26, we really have, or rather in chapter 22, we have the command given by Ananias because Paul, in recounting his conversion, said that when Ananias got to him, he said, Saul, what are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Why did Saul need to be baptized into Christ? So that his sins might be washed away. When were his sins washed away? When he was baptized into Christ. He had formerly been an unbeliever. Now, however, he is a believer in the Lord. 
and based on his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is willing to be baptized. I want you to think with me for just a moment. In this conversion process, God saved him from the depth of sin, didn't he? Saul was a sinner. Saul came to realize that he was separated from Almighty God. He needed a savior. When he wrote to the church at Rome, he said, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you think Paul viewed himself as an ungodly person at one time? I think he did. I think he came to understand he was an ungodly person because he did things against the God of heaven, against his son. In verse 8, he would say in Romans chapter 5, but God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God saved him from the depth of sin. Not just the depth of sin, but the despair of sin. There are people all over this globe that are living in sin. And they are in the depths of despair. In Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 12, Paul talks about those who are without hope and without God in this world. They may not know they're without hope. They may not know they're without God. But they are. Some live in despair. They wonder, what are they doing on earth? What's their purpose? What's the goal of life? Saul of Tarsus was saved by a loving God in heaven who saved him from the, from the depth of sin, from the despair of sin, and the destitution of sin. In verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off are made near, brought near by the blood of Christ. What is it that makes a difference in the lives of people who at one time had been in the depth of sin, who were despairing because of sin? It's the blood of Jesus. You see, in Jesus, those who are alienated are now reconciled. Paul would say in verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 2, that God has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body through the cross. So Paul enjoyed the blessings of salvation. There's another thing God saved him from, and that is the doom of sin. It's interesting that we live in a world today that has minimized the whole concept of sin. There are a lot of folks in our world today, when you talk about sin, they wave it off. I mean, they have the idea that this, that this concept has been drummed up by old-fashioned people and preachers that really sin is outdated. Well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. Those who are in sin without the cleansing blood of Christ stand in jeopardy 
of losing their eternal soul in a place called Gehenna, the hell of fire. We wonder sometimes, whatever happened to hell? Because people don't talk about it anymore. And yet, the Bible, very clear, very concise. Did you know that Jesus had more to say about the subject of hell than any other person in the New Testament? Saying to us that hell is real. And yet, Saul of Tarsus was saved from the doom of sin. Here's what Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is, if you choose to live in sin, a life alienated from God and his son, without the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus in your life, you don't have a prayer. I want you to think with me in the third place of a different man. A man that became a great servant of God. A man that was used by God in many, many great ways. Let's think for just a minute or two about how God used him as a saint. Note if you would, first of all, that Saul of Tarsus, the one that we know as Paul, became a great preacher of the gospel. God had a purpose for his life. What I want us to see is that God can use us to his glory if we allow it. Go back and look at verse 15 of chapter 9. God said concerning Saul of Tarsus, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God used him as a powerful preacher of the gospel. Here was somebody whose life at one time had been wrecked by a life of sin. He was a church wrecker. He was doing everything within his power to destroy Christianity, to bring down those who were following Jesus, and yet God turned him around, didn't he? And Paul became a tremendous preacher of the gospel. You ever wonder how many people will one day be in heaven because of the life of Paul? Think about how many lives this one man has impacted. I mean, you go back to the first century, you think about all those that obeyed the gospel through his preaching and teaching. Go to Corinth, go to Athens, go to Thessalonica, go to Berea. Go from city to city to city and look at the lives that were changed by the preaching and the teaching of the apostle Paul. When he wrote to the church at Rome, he told them that he was ready to preach the gospel to them. Why was that? Because he understood that the gospel was God's power to salvation, Romans 1.16. In 
Paul would say, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Paul lifted up Jesus Christ. He preached Christ and him crucified. There are people today that can read about the life of Saul of Tarsus. And in reading about this man, they come to the conclusion. You know what? If Saul of Tarsus could change and God could use him in a great way, then maybe he can use me. Maybe he can save me. I want you to see something with me very quickly. I want you to read it with me. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 for a moment. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says and let this sink in. Beginning in verse 12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now listen to him in verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. I think what Paul was saying is, look, God has used me as an object lesson to people of every generation you want to see somebody whose life was steeped in sin? You want to see somebody for whom Jesus came, lived, and died? That person is me. Now, if God could save me, what Paul's saying is, he can save you. He has that kind of power. So God used this man in a great way. Not just as a preacher of the gospel, but as a penman of the gospel. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, that the things that he wrote were the commandments of the Lord. Did you know that in the New Testament, the apostle Paul penned 13 out of 27 letters? And if perchance he wrote the book of Hebrews, that would be 14 out of 27, more than 50% of the New Testament penned by the hand of the Apostle Paul. Inspired of God, yes, but preserved for us in the Scripture. I think there's a lesson there for us. That lesson is, I don't care where we have been in this life. I don't care how deep we may think we are in a life of sin. Number one, God can save us. And number two, God can use us. But we have to be a willing participant. I want to close today by asking this question. When Jesus came and died on the cross, 
For whom did he die? Sometimes we tend to classify sin and sinners, don't we? Sometimes we think about certain individuals that have done some things in this life. And we think, you know, there's just no way God in heaven could ever forgive somebody like that. There are times when because our actions do not mirror the lives of others, we have the idea that we're better than them. Though maybe we've never obeyed the gospel. Listen. If you've never obeyed the gospel, I don't care what you've done, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've said, you're a sinner, you're lost, and you're not going to heaven. That's what the Bible says. Now, the flip side of that is, if you obey the gospel, you're redeemed, you're reconciled, you're among the saved, the cleansed, you have the hope of heaven. I want to read for you a letter that I have read. I've read it more than one time. When I read it, I stand in amazement. The letter was written to Garland Elkins on June the 10th, 1994. And here's what the letter says. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for sending that encouraging letter. And in closing your tract, the Lord's church is different. I enjoyed reading it, and it meant a lot to me. Yes, I was baptized into Christ on May the 10th, around 2 p.m. It was kind of a strange day to be baptized because that was the day of a solar eclipse. Around 12 noon, most of the sun was covered. But by 2 p.m., the sun was bright and shining again. A month before I was baptized, I read Mr. Warren's book, The Bible Only Makes Christians Only and the Only Christians. I had never before realized the importance of baptism. All I had ever heard before was that you say a little prayer, and then you're saved. The gospel tracts in the prison chapel never say anything about, about baptism. The tract that you wrote is great. It's the only one I've ever read that covers the whole plan of salvation and not just one incomplete part of it. I would like to share the full plan of salvation with the other inmates. I wonder if the Church of Christ has any tracts that are not copyrighted. If they did, then I could run some off on the library copier. And then I want to read this closing statement. He said, oh well, I think that I'm starting to ramble, ramble on, so I'll close for now. I've also read the Warren Ballard debate and God Demands Doctrinal Preaching. Both of them made for some very good reading. Thanks again for writing, Mr. Elkins. May our great God bless both you and your work. I'll keep you in my prayers. Sincerely, Jeff Dahmer. Do you know who Jeffrey Dahmer was? 
Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer. He killed his first victim two months after he graduated from high school in 1978. Not only did he kill his victims, he dismembered them. When the police finally caught him, they found body parts, many, many body parts in his home. Jeffrey Dahmer obeyed the gospel May the 10th, 1994. Now there are a lot of folks in our world that would say, you know what? He doesn't need to be saved. He's not worthy of being saved. Let me tell you what. The same God that sent his son to die for me died for him. The same God that had the ability to cleanse my sins had that same ability to cleanse his sins. I want you to listen again to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were, for when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's everyone. We're all ungodly. We are all sinners. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need the church. The bottom line is we're not perfect. Jeffrey Dahmer was killed, bludgeoned to death, in November of 1994. If you read what he had to say following his conversion, he said he did not feel like he, he did not feel worthy to live. When I read his letter, and I think of his sentiments, I see somebody penitent. A keen recognition of what he had done. When he was killed in prison, Brother Elkins told me that he was in Chattanooga at that time. One of the local television stations somehow found out that he had corresponded with Jeffrey Dahmer, and so they wanted to interview him. And here's what they asked. Do you think Jeffrey Dahmer will go to heaven? I thought what Brother Elkins said was spot on. He said, if Jeffrey Dahmer did what God said to do, he'll be saved. God will save any and everyone who come to him. Jeffrey Dahmer had to do what everyone has to do today. They have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of sins, confess his name, and be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. When people do that, God washes away every sin. Whether that person is a serial killer or not, God forgives them. If Jeffrey Dahmer obeyed the gospel, and he did, and he did it for the right reasons, 
and he lived faithfully until his death. Guess what? He'll be in heaven one day. Now I said just a minute ago, God used a man named Saul of Tarsus to do great things for the kingdom. I want you to listen again to what Jeffrey Dahmer said. I would like to share the full plan of salvation with other inmates. You just think about that for a minute. Here is a guy that had been a serial killer. And now he is taking this message that we call the good news. And he's telling other people about Jesus. You see, I don't care where you are in life. If you will allow it, God can use you in a great way. If God could use Saul of Tarsus, he can use you. If God could use Jeffrey Dahmer, he could use you. I want to ask you today, are you a Christian? Maybe you're not a serial killer. I hope and pray not. But if you've never obeyed the gospel, you're a sinner. And you need Christ. You may not think you do, but you need him. And the beauty is, the door's wide open. Jesus said, come. So I want to ask you this question. What's holding you back? I mean, if a guy that killed, what, 17 people, dismembered their body parts, if that guy saw the need to be baptized into Christ, surely we can see the need. Do you enjoy the cleansing power of the blood in your life? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. If you're not faithful to Christ, I want you to come to him. The Bible says that we have the opportunity to pray for one another if we're unfaithful. Whatever your need, would you come as we stand and sing?